The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the new wave of change that is emerging in our world today? What does it look like? How will it reshape our collective future? We see more and more women are making a rapid rise to the top, taking over leadership of their countries, influencing social and political decisions on a global scale. Welcome to the Rise of the Feminine with host Gina Lazenby. This is a movement that is putting the feminine values of compassion and collaboration back into the economy and our world. Everyone and everything is being affected. Our conversation starts now. Here is your host, Gina Lazenby. Welcome to the Rise of the Feminine. I'm your host, Gina Lazenby, and I'm delighted to be champion for this fascinating conversation. Not only are women rising in the world today, but feminine values are also being increasingly expressed more openly in men and women in all sectors of society. Last week, we looked at how feminine intelligence is bringing a wave of change across the world, and I'm grateful to Dr. Scylla Elworthy for sharing her insights on this, uh, that she also spoke about at the FAMQ event in Berlin. This was the world's first event on this subject. Also from Berlin, my thanks to business leader Bernard Plescher for sharing why he was curious to attend a summit on feminine intelligence. And lastly, I'd like to thank Dr. Armgard von Richten for detailing how she has seen feminine intelligence in the leadership of Angela Merkel, who's currently the most powerful female leader in the world. If you missed the show and want to listen to the recording at your leisure, then do check out the Rise of the Feminine Radio Facebook page, or you can hit the podcast button on your smartphone and search for Gina Lazenby. Now, this week, we'll be looking at soft power with expert Indra Adnan from the Soft Power Network, learning how women are well-placed to take advantage of the opportunities for influence that are expanding enormously in the world today. Then we will take the conversation over to Norway, one of the top countries in the soft power global league table, where we will learn more about the experience of being a woman in that Nordic country with Kristen Envig, founder of one of the world's leading women's conferences. And finally, our guest in our one-woman feature is an American living in London, Dr. Phyllis Santamaria, a leader in social enterprise Phyllis will recall for us her experience of working with women in Guatemala in the 1960s and will share how over the last 50 years life has moved forward for the community of women that that she helped there half a century ago. Let's now hear more about soft power, what it is and how we can use it. I'll introduce you to our first guest. Indra Adnan is director of the Soft Power Network and associate of Compass, a UK think tank that brings people together to work for a good society. For over 20 years, Indra has been writing and consulting in the international arena of soft power, conflict transformation and the new transformational politics. She's a seasoned public speaker, a practicing socio-psychotherapist and coach, 
working in both the public and private sphere, advising on personal, local and global agency with clients in Brazil, Finland, India, Mexico and the UK. Indra co-authored New Times with Neil Lawson. She writes for The Guardian and Huffington Post. And her ebook Soft Power Agenda, is available on her website, indraadnan.com. Indra, hello. Welcome to The Rise of the Feminine. Hi, Gina. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. Now, you are specialist in soft power. So I want to talk to you with so many female leaders around now. This is a great conversation to have. And I think it would be interesting to get a really clear definition of what soft power is compared to hard power. And um, because there's so much more happening in the world in respect of that and, and, and where it came from. Well, it's nice. It would be nice to have a simple, straightforward explanation. But the important thing really is to talk about where it started and where it is now because it's changed such a, a lot over the last 20 years. Yeah. So um, as a concept, it was devised, named by uh, Joseph Nye, who was an advisor to President Clinton uh, over 20 years ago now. And the context at the time was that um, America had just you know, come out of the Vietnam War. It was in a place where it's hard power uh, you know, its ability to dominate the globe was sort of coming into question. You know, what, you know, how, how could it be that, the, you know, that the hugest country in the world could not beat the tiniest little country? Mm. Um, yeah. So the question of whether or not just through guns, just through military hardware, just through money, um, if you were just to judge America in that way, was America going into a decline of some sort? This was the question. And what Joseph Nye said very persuasively is, you know, no, not at all. And in fact, Joseph Nye has been saying that ever since. America's not in decline uh, because of America's soft power, right? And he made this distinction, meaning uh, that America has the power of attraction. You know, America has the cultures, the narrative, the story about itself that everybody wants to be part of. It's the most attractive country in the world. Well, that certainly was the case 20 years ago. Interesting, yeah. Um, yeah, and you could see that in the power of Hollywood, you could see it in the power of the American dream, you could see it in the power of, uh, you know, the, the, the story of the, of the founding fathers. Everything that was American was still attractive to people around the globe. It was also, you know, the home of, uh, you know, of consumer goods, the most uh, attractive uh, products on sale, technology, you know, everything that young and old people actually wanted to be part of was in America. So I don't think there was any question uh, that Joseph and I was right at that time that America was still dominant with soft power. What's changed since then is that the mode of communication, the way that soft power in the past was being communicated was, n was almost entirely through state-run institutions. So, you know, the media, um, all the forms of communication were very top-down at that point. So what the state said about itself or the way the state communicated itself, you know, was the thing that everybody heard. We, you know, that was the only way that people could hear. Information was coming from the top downwards. You mean like the BBC? Well, the BBC or any kind of newspapers yeah. or, you know, even through, you know, even educationally, the way that we got information yes. was somebody at the top said that we could have access to this information. So And the state was always at the top of that. And that's how communication was. And that's how we, you know, we understood yeah. uh, the, the information. Was, yeah. that's, that's how we formed an opinion of America. It, it could, uh, 
It was in charge of propaganda. It was in charge of the story. It was in charge of the narrative. Today, of course, we're in the middle of, you know, we're, ten, we're good 10 years into a revolution of connectivity. You know, it's no longer the, 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 in the purview of the state to hand this information down. Now, um, the information travels horizontally as much as it does vertically. People share information. People choose their information. Um, the way that we think or how our opinions are formed is so very different than it was in those days. And it's the age of what um, Joseph Nye himself termed um, the non-state actor. Mm-hmm. It's no longer in the gift of the state to shape the narrative. Today, anybody with a, you know, with a computer can can tell the story. And really, whoever has the most powerful way of telling a story or uses the greatest spectacle or who crafts new, new memes, you know, they will be in charge of the story. And that's why soft power now has quite a different meaning than it did in the days of Joseph Nye. You know, I, I can have or I can display or use my soft power, my ability to shape the narrative um, as much as, as, as the state could in those days. Mm. So, and for me, the, the, the image that I always like to refer to is, um, you know, in the old thing of, uh, you know, does what's stronger, the stone, the scissor or the paper, you know, the paper is the soft power. So the stone is the hard power. It has some, ki- it has some kind of uh, effect, but, you know, paper wraps stone, mm. you know, it shapes the space for action. Brilliant. That's such a visual. <laughs> Most of us remember doing That's that right. as children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Interesting. Yes. Okay. The um, Let's look at some examples then, because as you were saying that, you're talking about America and the culture with Hollywood. I remember as a child growing up, uh, Seven Up Lemonade brought to us. We had the American, uh, I think it was called the Early Warning Station. It was kind of semi-military communication centre in uh, Yorkshire in the UK. And we would have these people come and live with us uh, when they were on secondment in our, in our holiday apartments in the winter. And yep. they brought all these brands with them from America, which were Seven Up before it became available here. And uh, Aunt Jemima Pancake Mix. <laughs> Yeah, a whole series of I was so things. in love with America when I was young <laughs> that when I after I came I went for a holiday there with my parents when I was 13 for the next three years I didn't even turn my watch back <laughs> I had it on American time for three years because I was so in love with America and just knew that that was you know where, where I had to be to be influential or to have make any sort of difference anyway yeah. those were, that was then it's no longer the case now oh it's interesting isn't it mm. and um yeah, interesting. So tell us about um, how we might personally be involved in this, because you've, you've talked about the top down and yeah. you've talked about how the state was shaping the narrative and the soft power. Yeah. So how is soft power changing yeah. so that we've got more access to it yeah. in a knowing way or maybe yeah. we're doing yeah. it in an unknowing way, but we could yeah. be more conscious with our use of soft yeah. power? Yeah, well, I think the important thing is that what, what Joseph and I began was a sort of disaggregation of the idea of power and what we've become is more power literate, right? So what's useful still is this, is this simple interface, you know, this simple duality, hard power, soft power. Um, so hard power depends on a certain level of disconnect. You know, you can drop bombs on people 
as long as you can't see who they are, right? Hard power depends on disconnect. You know, you can throw money at stuff. You can shape things with money, um, you know, through the power of disconnecting from them, right? Soft power begins when you are connecting with them, right? So even though I described it just now as something which is not much better than or not much more sophisticated, you might, you might think from the way I described it just now that it's really marketing or propaganda or something. But actually, it's the ability to form relationship with people. That's what it is. Which is a right? very feminine thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. which is basically yeah. a, a kind of feminine, we take it for granted, mm-hmm. right? So right from an early age, young women start to depend on relationship as the thing that they need to cultivate to have influence rather than, than hard power, just performance or uh, attaining status or those sorts of things. So at quite an early age, women become soft power um, you know, literate and capable. So that's really how it comes down to the personal. The way that I like to teach it is to say that if you are, you know, if you are capable of being authentic, if you know who you are, so the first, the first step in soft power is know who you are, right? So you might say on a national level, if, if America knows what its good qualities are, right, that's the first step, right? Or if you yourself, as, a, as an individual, know what your good qualities are, that's the first step in soft power. The second step is, how open can you be to the other, right? Because if you're really open to the other's needs, then you get this corridor of influence, right? Then you can begin to influence that person. Because number one, you know who you are. And number two, you're really interested in what that other person's needs are. So you're paying attention, not just what you want to, knowing yourself and what you want to share, but you're listening out, uh, empathy and connecting with the others so you you deeply know. Yeah, yeah. But it's not in this, um, it's not in this, you know, completely open space of, uh, you know, anything goes, I don't have any values. No, it's me coming with my values to listen to you. That's the essence really of soft power, right? So I've got something to offer but I'm totally open to what it is that you need from me, right? So imagine that. If you want to capture it in a person, imagine a very charismatic person, say, you know, I don't know, um, President Obama, right? Mm -hmm. And people will always say, uh, when he talked to me, I felt like I was the only person in the room. That's the essence of charisma, right? Somebody who can give you their full attention, right? But it wouldn't feel like it was anything powerful if that person had nothing you know behind it you know that they're coming with all their power and giving you their full attention right that's what soft power looks and feels like now a lot of people will think whoa that sounds a bit scary like charisma can be very scary but then i'm not saying that soft power is good and hard power is bad you know everybody has um to find a balance you know like yin and yang soft and hard power are always present it's not that one is good and the other's bad. You need hard power to get stuff done. You need hard power. Um, yes, you know, you, as you, to, you use the word literacy. You need to understand the two yes. to know when to use it. Because a lot yeah. of things that are said about Hillary Clinton are people have met her, how she listens, how she's very attentive, yeah. and uh, she has charisma. Uh, it, yes. and, and, and some people who are very stage, have massive stage presence and stage yeah. charisma, when you get them in a small room, they don't have the ability to connect on a one-to-one listening way that yeah. somebody else has. So 
there is in yeah. interesting, isn't it? Changing um, the way you uh, interact with a small group or one person, as you say, open up and you really listen yeah. to moving yeah. that to the stage. And that's something that's very much kind of being talked about at the moment, how Hillary yeah. hasn't got charisma or hasn't got this, but <laughs> she has the ability to listen and is a great listener. Yeah. So she has personal yeah. presence. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the more that you are, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's probably another good example. The more that you can be open to the needs of others, the more that you have influence over them, right? So now this can be, you know, this could be good for good or bad. I'm not saying for a second that that means it's a good thing. It's just a different kind of power. It's the power of attraction. Where it's where I think of it as a positive thing is, you know, that if you're looking at conflict or you're looking at the big problems that we have to face it would be good if we think about soft power as the way to solve them first before we move hard power right because you know quite simply the hard power solutions while they may appear to fix the problem uh, they don't fix them for long you know they're very temporary solutions so you might you know you might you know you might drop a bomb on a, on a, on a group of insurgents fine you know a drone might might uh, you know, might take out, you know, a group of uh, of uh, terrorists, but, you know, the effect on the ground is horrendous and you get back. You know, hard power rarely creates a permanent solution where soft power, at least because it's based on relationship and engagement, has the possibility of transcending the conflict. Yeah. So um, finally, let's just have a quick, we've talked about America and we've talked about Britain. Can we just dip into uh, other countries and just, you know, talk, maybe talk about China? That's a big player sure. in the world now. And they have a, they have a different approach to America, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Talk I mean, about their use. Of all the countries in the world, probably China is actively investing um, in soft power, more, you know, more money than anybody else. However, that doesn't mean they're getting it right. So old ideas about soft power, which would say, um, make your culture really explicit, sell yourself into, into the world, and um, people will like you better for it. They are, they've been trying that in, in, in numerous ways for the last, well, in fact, ever since Joseph and I started talking about it. So across the globe, um, there, are, there are at least 800 Confucius Institutes mm -hmm whose job it is to introduce China to the world. Mm -hmm. So um, in, a, you know, in a philosophical, um, benign way. So it's almost like they've, you know, this is their soft power strategy, all right? However, you still got to be in tune with what the people need. So it's not just about what you are giving them about yourself. You've also got to be really open to the needs of the people that you're trying to introduce yourself to, right? So um, it's come a cropper quite often, right? So, for example, I think there's a number of institutes now that have closed down because they're not popular, because the people going into these institutes are not allowed to talk about the things they're actually interested in. So they can't go in and talk about China's um, behavior with Nepal or what's happening in the South China Seas, the very things that Americans or people in the West might want to be able to discuss freely and openly with the Chinese. They're not coming in with a sort of, uh, you know, it's not that they want to go in necessarily with a sort of, uh, you, you're doing this wrong, you know, correct this behavior. It's more like, oh, you know, you're the Chinese Confucius Institute. This is someone here I can have this conversation with, right? 
and gen- and you know the response is no we we don't talk about that here so it's a one way communication it's about it's showing uh, yeah, it's, a, a, the story that we yeah. want to tell yeah. yeah so even though they really i think it will develop as they go along you know because china as i say is really investing a lot of money in trying to become acceptable to the world because they don't they know how much power they've got they know that everybody else understands how much power they've got they want to emerge as a global force in a benign way as much as possible they don't want everybody to resist them or to think of them as a threat you know it's kind of inevitable it's a massive country they're going to be influential and they're going to be quite dominant they'd rather do that on the basis of people finding it acceptable mm-hmm. right so they spend a lot of money on uh, soft power trying to create relationship now i hope there's nothing in what i've said that suggests it's either a good thing or a bad thing you know i'm not saying that i'm not trying to claim that they're doing these for good you know what we would see as good reasons or we might see as not good reasons it's just the way that power works it's, it's two just aspects of kind power. of power yeah it's two right? aspects of power one is that softer more feminine way mm. and there's the masculine hard way and they both have a use so I, I do like the word literacy you say understanding and being literate yeah. in the two forms of power to know when yeah. to use them yeah that's yeah. brilliant and it's, and it's because gina that the public space is no longer being defined by the masculine right so again going back 20 years or even more important last 10 years the public space used to be defined by whatever it is that the men in power decided was in the public space. Yeah. Right? Now, because of the revolution of the internet and so on, everything that's happened since then, increasingly women are filling the public space, right, with their own thoughts, their feelings, emotions, you know, their decision-making, you know, the, their new narratives, what they think is important. It's changing. Mm. Right. It's a place where we, we do have power and perhaps we don't yeah. realize that so. we, we don't realize that we have yeah. so much power and we have even more power when we aggregate it, when we get together in conversation. Yeah. Um, okay. Individually, we have power. But as you say, bringing it all together, yeah. it gives us even more power. Yeah. And I think from the point of view innovation, I'm just going to say mm. that so many of the things that women have always wanted to bring to the public space now look like innovation. Right, they look like new things, like shorter working weeks, or you know, more relational orientated, you know, social plan, social plans, uh, you know, relational welfare. These kind of concepts, they sound like new things, <laughs> and that's good. You know, it makes us the innovators. We are the innovators. Well, you know, it's just for us. We always thought they should be there, right? It's been a, it, that's right. It's been a conversation for a long time, but nobody's been listening or we haven't know where to speak it. And now it's either landing or it's gathering momentum. Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's really great. Indra, we could talk all day. I'd love to. I'd love to revisit the conversation, but we'll close for now. And thank you so much for giving us that introduction to individual and global soft and hard power. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Tina. Thank you. And now we're going to take a quick commercial break, and I'm back and introducing my next guest, Kristin Envig in Norway. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned in to The Rise of the Feminine. If you have a question or comment about this program, please send an email to Gina at GinaLazenby.com. That's Gina at GinaLazenby.com. Here again is your host, Gina Lazenby. Welcome back. I think it's so interesting to hear Indra articulate not just what soft power is, but how it has shifted in the last decade with the internet revolution and the democratization of the public space where women can more easily make themselves heard and to bring out into this arena ideas that we have long been discussing with each other and even that these ideas are being less, uh, being seen as uh, new innovations. I must admit that I'd not thought of it that way. Also, I think it's worth underlining the power we have when we get together to discuss our needs and what we want for the world, that speaking together amplifies and our messages are further expanded by using technology. We're then beginning to reach who we need to speak to with this new power. But I'm not sure all women fully appreciate this. I think it's definitely something we will explore further in the future. Let's move on now to our next guest, Kristen Envig. Kristen is a woman who's been using technology and building community for the last two decades. She is the founder of the WIN Conference in Norway, a unique event that's been nourishing women in the business community for 19 years. As a pioneer and a thought leader, she has dedicated the past 22 years to women's leadership and organizational change, working on inspiring others to create a world where business and society flourish and all people thrive. With a background as a decision maker in global companies, a consultant and a social artist, Kristen transformed her vision of bringing a more feminine, global and sustainable vision into work, communities and life into an annual conference inspiring women worldwide. Her life inside and outside Norway is going to give us some insights into this country and what might give it an edge with soft power. Kristen, good morning in Norway. Welcome to the Rise of the Feminine. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining me. I think Norway's interesting because I think it's listed as in the top 10 or 12 uh, in the soft power league table. That's correct. And what's known about Norway 
obviously the Nobel Peace Prize and the initiatives that Norway is so proficient at in, in terms of peace. You've had, we've had on television here recently about the prison system and how soft and luxurious um, <laughs> by, compared to other, by comparison to other countries that the prison, prisons are. But, you, you know, your conversation there is about rehabilitating people so that they become better humans and that when these people leave prison, they're going to be somebody's neighbor. So you spend a lot of money in that and it seems to work because you have the yeah. lowest, I think it's called recidivism, the lowest yes. rate of people reoffending going back between 16 mm. and 20%. So that's interesting. That's that's a conversation that's been on TV recently in in the in mm -hmm. the UK. And also, I think people know that Norway was the first country to legislate for women being uh, on boards of companies, on listed yeah. companies. So that's groundbreaking. So tell me, um, Norwegian lady, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what makes Norway and the Norwegian women? who they are, who you are. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Why are you different? Do you know how different you are? <laughs> when you're yeah, on the inside you know, of something, it's not always possible to know, is it? No, that's the thing. And that's what I, I thought, you know, when I grew up, I, I, I certainly knew that I could do whatever I wanted. And, and at the time, and I was in, in um, as a young lady, I we had a female prime minister at the time. And, um, and there were women everywhere. So, I didn't think that was a hindrance for sure, and um, and also um, growing up in Norway. I mean, Norway has always been a very sort of egalitarian society and um, very inclusive in many ways. And and I remember also study cultural studies that there's this guy called Hofstede from the Netherlands, and he he looks at different cultural dimensions. And actually, that Norway is very feminine culture also. So so when I traveled, I went abroad. I used to work for this big American multinationals. I was in Italy, and I was here and there. And, 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 and at that certain point, I realized, wow, you know, I had so many, I had so much freedom working in Norway. I could sort of make my own choices of whatever I wanted, what life I wanted, what work I wanted, what you know. And I'm sure you can in the UK too now. But I, I think in 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 um, yeah, in Norway it was is 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 in a very inclusive way or a very connected way. Maybe that's the thing. Yeah. And um, so I didn't really tolerate this very competitive environments because I liked more this collaborative way that I found in Norway and and where women were more listened to than what I found in Italy, um, without having to be like too hard and too tough and and so on. So. Although there is, of course, there is a strength in 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 a softness too that I that I that I've seen that we actually we have in Norway, but one of the things then living abroad for many years and meeting women from very many different countries, I started to wonder how can we create this sort of context where we. Uh, where we can, where we get this freedom that I can choose whatever I want to do. Uh, so that's something I started to explore. And then I started to think, okay, we can have it in a national culture, but can I have that in a company also? You know, almost like a family way, you know, the way you can have in a family where you feel relaxed, you can be yourself, but yeah. what about that in a company, in a society, in a culture? Um, and I think Norway is one of the cultures that is close to that. Um, but now I'm talking also, I don't know how it is when you come from another country coming in here, it uh, could be different. But certainly I see that women have 
played a major role. I was talking um, to, I was looking at also how foreign aid is given. And now, um, I was in Japan this spring, and they talked about Norway had given aid to the Hikushima, uh, the Fukushima. Uh, reconstruction, but they only wanted to give the money if they had fifty percent of women on the team. Ah, and, Norway gives and, a lot of money. Actually, it's a big yeah. donor. Yes, and you see, but you see, because all the guys were really quick on, and this may sound stereotypical, but I think it's it's also true sometimes. So, the guys were very quick on let's build the infrastructure, and then the women also said, hey, yeah, but that's not everything. You know, these people are, are damaged. They need healing. We need to look at the kids in school. We need all of these things together. So because we need everything. And I think that going back to what you talked about on the prison example, too, if you have both women and men in those teams, we could together work out, you know, the best solution humanly because all the voices are heard, all the feelings are listened to. And it's not only the one way. Yeah, that's absolutely it. It's not only the one way. This is this is the mistake that some people feel that the rise of the feminine and the rise of women is the taking over, usurping, yeah. moving in. And it's not. It's moving up to that space where the majority of conversations are by yeah. men or masculine and say, well, let's have some feminine inputs, some feminine thinking. Let's bring some feminine yeah. values in. And then between the two, we're going to get the the right solution, the right the answers, right. more holistic. And that's really what the conversation is about. So it's interesting. I do find Norway interesting. And I have been to Norway. I went to Oslo last year. I yeah, absolutely so loved it. I really did. <laughs> I mean, Cold, it's not but... perfect here either. Of course, it's not perfect here either. Everyone has their thing. But I think maybe one of the things is we started early. So we started early with, uh, with as you said, quota on, on, on the yes, corporate boards. Yeah. We started early on things. So then you have... Uh, experimented you know there were it's not only great but i think that that it's working it's working yeah, out. But it doesn't have i think when you start things to expect perfection and it worked yeah. initially is wrong to say oh, well norway hasn't <laughs> got it right and it made a mistake yeah. you you have to you have to break things in don't you, you have to go okay yeah, yeah. this is a problem and moderate and and adjust yeah. uh, but making that first step is is the key so you talked about touring europe finding out that you were not having the same freedoms of expression. In yeah, <laughs> and so you realized that, you know, Norway, you had a, a lot more flexibility <laughs> and the world wasn't quite like Norway. <laughs> had to leave there to find that out, which of course is interesting. And then at some point, you, I think it's 19 years ago now, you created this conference. It's a long time. That Again, yeah. I think you're a leader in your field in creating this space for women to be together in a business mm-hmm. sense, they were um, yeah. f- come for the executives. I don't know yeah. what the balance of corporate employees versus entrepreneurs that you have, but this yeah. space for business women to connect, and yeah. you bring different elements to it, don't you? So it's not just a normal conference. Yeah, it's- this is also the thing. Is, uh, so I mean, we have now maybe sixty percent corporate, sixty-five percent corporate women, and the other. I mean, it's for professional women. They can be, women, you know, you can do anything. Description, do, but isn't it? Yeah, but. Um, but there too, I was trying to see, because I saw, especially like 19, 20 years ago, I saw too many women that really adapted the masculine way and ex- more or less exclusively that, because of course we have the masculine within us and it's good, we need a structure, focus and everything. But it was too, it wasn't balanced enough. And then I had seen that, ah, it's possible to do it differently. Because a lot of people said in the beginning, ah, you're crazy, you can't do this. And I thought, no, no, it's possible. So I tried to bring in elements of, culture, elements of music, elements of let's do some yoga in the morning, or meditation, and uh, and also finding women who sort of follow, follow their callings and have done, 
done things a little bit against seemingly all odds, but also to try to find new role models for many people that many women who said, oh, there are no real role models yes. out there. So that was one of the things. I think we filled the void there. Definitely. Um, and then also start networking, but it, networking in a way that was more feminine too. So it's not this stressful <gasps> competing for the things, but more like, okay, how can we connect really? Yeah. So redefining networking too with something that's more purposeful and pleasurable. So we call it networking with purpose, with passion and so on. Building community. Building community. So again, it's like, how can we create these communities where we try, where we flourish and where we can be ourselves and do things too. And, and, and I've seen, we have had to work on a lot of like wording. Like one lady told me the other day, ah, I don't like the word confidence. And said, well, but we need confidence. But what if confidence is something else than some sort of ego-based, here I am. But maybe confidence is something like it's connected. If I am... It's so interesting because it's, you know? it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all in the language, especially if you're translating yeah. that to another language. You know, English isn't your first language. How yeah. do you translate the word confidence? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and how is it used? It's like saying, I am a feminist. What does that mean today? Me. What did it mean before? Yeah. So we have to really explore our use of language, don't mm -hmm. we? Because people mm -hmm. take yeah. away different things. Interesting. And then, you know, when it's not, when you travel, it's also not like in Norway, um, particularly before, you also had this, and you had it in Denmark and some Scandinavian countries too. It's this sort of culture of not standing out too much, not. Uh, not it's sort of it's called a yantelo yantelo it's yantelo. sort of you, know, you shouldn't be a, you shouldn't be better than anyone else oh okay you know the <laughs> the English phrase is the tall poppy syndrome to stand yeah. above and get cut down yeah, yeah yeah so that's a little bit difficult too because sometimes everyone's not the same so this is sometimes maybe a criticism of Norway too that there is very easily especially I think young people feel the pressure they have to be the same as everyone else right yeah, and you shouldn't be too much, yeah. too good, too this or something. Um, but at the same time, um, it's not only bad either because it creates sort of a, no, an understanding that you're part of something and you shouldn't overdo it. But um, You've certainly provided a lot of opportunities for women with that legislation. And also yes. we've seen a lot with the, the childcare expanding possibilities oh. for women. So yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And that's a whole new conversation itself. But we're running out of time now. Go, so go, go. we need to speak again. We need to speak again. <laughs> no, because it's so cool. This, I mean, yeah, it's so rich, the conversation. It's interesting yeah. to hear. And I, mean, the, you know, I know we have like, I think, you know, 73% of all women work. 77% of all men work. And this is the highest amongst all the OECD countries. And there was a headline in, F in the Financial Times last year said said that Norwegian women mean more for the GDP of Norway than oil and gas. Wow, that's, a, that's an... So the w women in Norway contribute more than oil and gas? Yeah. So the wow. fact that so many work and pay taxes or contribute to the economy. Yeah. It's you know, interesting that they, they says, even oh, looked at that. It's interesting they yeah. even looked at that. They that's looked what's at that, interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. And then, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> We've run out of time. But we, we, we will talk again. And so thank you so much for joining me today with your report from Norway. Lovely. <laughs> and now we're going to take a quick commercial break. Then I'm back and introducing my last guest, Dr. Phyllis Santamaria.
news, opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned in to The Rise of the Feminine. If you have a question or comment about this program, please send an email to Gina at GinaLazenby.com. That's Gina at GinaLazenby.com. Here again is your host, Gina Lazenby. I think Norway is a fascinating country to watch and we will perhaps visit again when we do an episode about women on boards, company boards. For now, let's move on to our last guest and I would like to introduce you to Dr. Phyllis Santamaria. She's worked in education, enterprise and at the BBC, that's British Broadcasting Corporation in the UK. Since 2000, she's worked in microfinance and renewable energy. She worked as a UK national coordinator for the BBC Doomsdays Project, the world's first interactive multimedia community project. She was also national coordinator for the UN Year of Microcredit, winning UN and World Bank awards as part of her involvement in financial inclusion in the UK, India, Africa and China. Today, Phyllis works on London-based renewable and clean technology projects with a community focus. Phyllis, welcome to The Rise of the Feminine. Thank you, Gina. Great to talk with you. Thank you for joining me today. I want to, um, I want to ask you about your long career in business. And I remember you talking about starting out with the Peace Corps. When we met um, 2008, we met in a women's gathering of entrepreneurs and I can remember you suggesting that we have at the focus of our gathering what women always do they work together in the fields they sew together they cook together and that's what we made at the heart of our business gathering didn't we Mm. cooking together yes (laughs) it was great (laughs) and you talked about going to uh, out with the Peace Corps to Guatemala and I think one of the most impressive things I remember was that you're still in contact with those women 50 years later. Mm. So what was it that took you out there and what has happened with that community where you went out to volunteer that you've um, 
been in contact with it for so long and how have you seen them grow? Mm. Well, the U.S. Peace Corps, Peace Corps program was started by President Kennedy. And I remember being really inspired, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And that was the inspiration to go through three months of training and then be selected to go and work in the field in Guatemala. So we were sent to this rural village with Mayan Indians and were told, go and find out what the people want and then create something with them. Brilliant. So I started off with nutrition and childcare classes with Mayan Indian women in this town in the highlands of Guatemala. And just to imagine how to get there, you had to go on a what we call a chicken bus because there are all the chickens on the bus as well. And we would have to go out to the community, find a place to live, and then start working with the people. Living with the locals. Living with the locals and living at the subsistence level. Of course, we didn't live entirely at their level, but we weren't allowed any vehicles um, and we had a very small amount of money every month. So... Um, I was 22 at the time, and the women I was working with were my same age. Uh, they turned up, they were interested, and we started these nutrition and childcare classes. And then one day I spotted another woman who was selling a wall hanging, which was made of a backstrap loom, which is how the women weave their own blouses. Because each town in Guatemala has a distinctive costume design for their blouse. So if you go to Guatemala City, you can tell which village that that woman is from. So I said, why don't you try making one of these or two of these and I'll sell them to the other Peace Corps volunteers. So they did that and I took them to the volunteers and they were delighted they bought them. And then one of the women came along and she brought along, she said, look, in this other town I saw this purse. And she said, why don't we start making these smaller purses? And so we started doing that. And this is this is an example. You're holding one today. Yes, How I'm amazing. holding one today. <laughs> Piece I'm of history. This day, <laughs> and which I have seen all over the world in very unexpected places. Wow, how satisfying to see something like that. I know. <laughs> when I went into a car park in Exeter down in Devon in the southwest of England and to find someone pulling one of these out of her handbag to pay for the car park. And I've seen them in the United States, in Europe, in so many different places. So... We started making these purses and there was a big demand for them. Um, it has the animals, uh, the design from their traditional blouses. So one of the important things is that the women started doing more weaving and started teaching their daughters as well to weave because they were beginning to lose that. And we called for the women who came in from the outlying hamlets. When they came in for market, we said, come along to our meetings and we'll tell you about how to do this. And so the women started coming and they could do this on their portable looms in their homes. And then when they came in for the market, they could bring in the pieces. And then the women who were in the town would um, sew the pieces together. We would take them into Guatemala City and sell them to different shops. So the thing that's important to remember in this whole story is that although the Mayan Indians are 60% of the population in Guatemala, they were very discriminated against. It's not as bad today as it was 50 years ago. When I would go into a shop saying with my two women friends that we had rode on the chicken bus all the way into Guatemala, leaving at 4.30 in the morning, and the shop owner would say, you can come in, but not those 
and he used a derogatory term towards those women. And I said, I will only come in if they can come in. So they came in with me, and they started to learn how to sell. And as you said at the beginning, I've carried on my friendship with them over the years. And they say, 10 years later, they were very proud to say, now we can choose who we're going to sell to and which shop we will go to. So that was a really important thing, that they, they were the ones who started doing the marketing. Mm -hmm. And they were the ones, when we would have the weekly meetings, they have their own Mayan language. So I would speak in Spanish about what we were doing, and then they would have to translate that and speak in Kachikel, their language, to the other women. So they learned how to speak with the other women. And so that was also very important, that I wasn't speaking directly, but that they were the ones who were speaking in their own language. Mm. And by the end of the two years that I was there, then we had got some funds to build a house. Um, the brothers and the fathers and the husbands helped to build this house where we had our meetings, and we got some money for doing the wholesale threads. And they were able pretty well to manage on their own. There was another Peace Corps volunteer that replaced me for one year. But after that year, they pretty much were able to carry on on their own. And so I have seen over these five decades, because it was 65 to 67, I have seen how the women blossomed, how they were the first, the, among the leaders, they were the first Mayan women to learn how to drive and to own their own pickup trucks, which was really pretty amazing when you consider that they only had one to two years of education. Amazing. So um, then they also built up their assets so that they could, they bought more land and they built better houses in the town and they were able to educate their children and also the ones who chose not to get married because as they said, why should we get married when a man is only going to take our money and to beat us? Wow. Let's <laughs> just pause for a second. That's amazing, isn't it? That's yes. A, that, so what started off as a simple weaving project to give them some money has turned out into a massively empowering program for them to become businesswomen, to have a, an enhanced status. And to see that last all those years, that's absolutely amazing. Yes, and also that um, they're... The next generation, for, for example, the nephew of one of the women who chose not to get married, um, he became a doctor and is in charge of a large public health program in the, the capital of that department in Guatemala. And there have been other successes. Uh, one of the nieces, who unfortunately passed away at the age of about 30 from cancer, she was the one who was instrumental in a big community project where they created murals on the walls coming into the town to document their history because Guatemala suffered a very terrible 30-year civil war. But she got together the community, uh, not only the weavers, but also artists and the local people to collect their stories. And so when you drive into the town of San Juan Comalapa in the department of Chilmaltenango in Guatemala, then you see these murals and you will see teachers with their school children using these panels of history to teach the history so that they don't have something like the civil war that they had and also to teach about how the Indians, the Mayans, also have such a history that is to be valued. So a Peace Corps initiative, which in the end is, a, a, does end up as a peace initiative, as you say, protecting right. against another war, 
um, commerce and peace so interlinked? If you empower people, empower women, enable them to build up their financial resources, to make different choices with their lives, to educate their children to a much higher level than their education themselves, this is where you get real change. And Mm. it's fascinating, I think, for you to have the opportunity to look back over those years and know those same women, to see what effect you had. How long were you there for? One or two years? Two years. Two years. To see what your contribution had in terms of longevity. Well, Phyllis, what an amazing contribution that you made and what a legacy and the thing that I think is so essential and this is for even a project that I'm in, I'm working on today is the community development aspect because unless you have the community at the grassroots behind and find ways that there is more connectivity and co-creation and collaboration What's interesting about Phyllis's story is that it started with a mandate to support the community by living with them as one of them. It was a soft power approach of coming in with expertise and really listening and responding to the needs that were expressed. One woman who could see an opportunity that the community could best be supported by leveraging the old, almost forgotten skills of weaving that the women had. That simple initial weaving project empowered the women to start their own business, learning the skills of marketing and selling and eventually developing a successful commerce with far-reaching impact. The women were able to invest in developing their community, making different choices for themselves and their families, and even set up a community art program that helped to ensure a future peace by showing that past history of civil war. The key was to support the women who supported their community in the way that they knew how. And I think we have been given a unique insight by Phyllis, staying in touch over 50 years and seeing their progress from that simple start. So I hope you enjoyed our analysis of modern soft power and the opportunities presented for women. Our enhanced skills in communication and developing relationships gives women an edge in our ability to influence. We have the chance to really leverage the revolution in connectivity to grow our soft power. Do check our Facebook page if you would like to connect with any of today's guests and find out about Kristin Envig's Win Conference, which is at the end of September in Rome. Coming soon with our guests in the next few episodes will include talking about feminine wisdom, Madeleine Makunu on leading women of Africa, and more discussion, discussions about masculinity and the challenges today for young girls growing up in the digital age. Finally, you know I love to hear from you. Please email your thoughts to gina at ginalazenby.com. Tweet me at ginalazenby or remember there's the Facebook page called The Rise of the Feminine Radio. So until next week, stay well and thank you very much for joining me on The Rise of the Feminine. We hope that you've enjoyed the program this week. Be sure to tune in to The Rise of the Feminine with Gina Lazenby every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericavariety.com 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 